0: Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. It's good to see you guys here. My name's Aaron. If you are new to Bridgewater, you and I are in the same boat. And so I'm really excited that you're here. And if you're not new, well, uh, you know a lot more than me. And so I hope you'll be gracious with me here today. Um, I have two things that I need to deal with really quickly before we dive in to continue our study in 1 Corinthians. Number one. We do have a Q&A afterwards, and Brett told me, he, this, these are his words, if you have a hard question, you can leave afterwards. If you have an easy question, you can stay. That's what Brett said, so you guys can just talk to him about that. I'm just kidding. No, please come. Uh, and then number two, I just want to say, man, I am so glad that we just sang that last song. Seriously. Seriously. I hope you'll think about that for a minute. Because I know you all are praying about whether or not God would have, you know, me and my family be here. But I want to be really clear on something. I'm not enough. You understand that? Unless God shows up and moves amongst us and we all let him. If God's not in it, I won't be enough. And so I, I'm glad we sang that. And I'm excited that if we'll listen to him, I'm excited about what God can do here. Amen? I'm I'm excited about that. All right, that's enough of the, the, uh, you know, offhanded comments. Let me... Let me jump right in. We've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians here at at Bridgewater, and I got to uh, take us through one of the talks earlier, a couple of weeks ago. Today, this is going to be, I believe, the last talk in our series. And um, uh, as you've been going through 1 Corinthians, there's an important idea that I think shows up. It's been showing up all throughout this series, and I just want to highlight it before we dig into what we're going to look at today, here's the, here's the very important idea that I think keeps showing up over and over. It's this, there is not a single area of life that following Jesus does not affect. So if you're, if you're a Christ follower here, I'm, I'm talking to you. There's not a single area of living that following Jesus doesn't step in and begin to change it. You understand that? If you're new to Jesus, that may be a new idea to you, but Christians should be people who are increasingly changed. They look more like and act more like Jesus, okay? So that's going to kind of be the basis of which we jump off of here today. Uh, but I've noticed a couple of other things that tend to happen uh, for Americans and they still show up in American Christianity. And if I step on your toes today, I'm sorry, but I I I gotta just deal with these things. Number one, I've noticed that there's these values that kind of show up. One of the great values of being an American is that we have rights. Would you agree? We we have we have rights. We talk we have this thing in our Constitution called the Bill of Rights. You familiar with it? If you, if maybe some of you have read it. I remember when I was a High schooler, my mom gave me a, a, a little book. There's a copy of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, all kinds of things, right? So a couple things in the Bill of Rights. One is the freedom of religion, right? To, to worship um, as you see fit, right? Another is like, uh, I had a conversation with somebody, Bob, I believe, you know, there's a bunch of Bobs here, so I know, you know, but I had a conversation with a, with a Bob today uh, and we were talking about, you know, the right to bear arms, Right? That, that's another one of the, uh, you know, things that are outlined in the Bill of Rights. There's also, um, there's, there's rights about how you can be prosecuted for, you know, criminal activity and things like that. And I've noticed that as Americans, we, we really take those rights seriously. Wouldn't you agree? There's something else that I've noticed. We have a very litigious society do you know what that means the the word litigious is like we're we're big on if somebody infringes our rights we we sue them okay i mean you hear about this all the time even here i did a little research on on the east coast even here in in uh, in New York City, not, not that long ago, in the early 2000s, there was a woman who decided, she, she, she was so desperate, she decided to try and take her own life, and so she laid down on some of the rails uh, in the subway. Okay, you can imagine, this is, this is terrible. She laid down on some of the rails, and, and something happened, and I don't know if they got it got stopped early enough or whatever, but she, she didn't end up dying, but she was seriously injured. And then she sued the railway company because she didn't die, right? And ended up winning $13 million, right? Please don't get any ideas. I mean, seriously, you know? And that stuff happens all the time. There's another one I heard about in in PA. There's one in, in Bristol, PA, where a burglar got, like, broke into a home, he got trapped in the in the people's home. He got trapped in the garage. He got into the into the home. He then got into the garage. Somehow the door locked on the on the other side and then the the power went out so the garage doors wouldn't open. He couldn't get out of the garage. He was trapped there for 12 days and he lived on Pepsi and dog food, dry dog food, and then sued the homeowners and won because they had unlawfully detained him. They weren't even home, right? And then there's the one that you've all heard of, the, the lady who in the, uh, in the middle 1990s sued McDonald's, remember this? Yeah, for the, for the coffee. But what doesn't get talked about is that the, the coffee was served at 190 degrees Fahrenheit, which was about 40 degrees higher than everybody else serves coffee because McDonald's thought that their coffee tasted better if it was at that temperature. And when she tried to talk with them, all she was asking for, she got third-degree burns all over her legs and, and, and pelvic area. And when she sued them, she was really only trying to get money to cover skin grafts she had to have, and McDonald's wouldn't do that, and so she ended up suing them and winning. Here's the deal, I mean, we have, we have a very litigious society, and we, we have a very rights-oriented society, and I think those things have come into the church, and so here's what I want us to think about today. There is not a single area of life that following Jesus does not affect. And here's the truth. That also includes my rights and how I use them. That includes how I look at my rights, what I do with them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is where we're going to be, Paul actually deals with a number of things about our rights and how we interact with one another with our rights and, and whether or not we're ready and willing to be different than the watching world when problems arise. Because the fact of the matter is, when my rights are violated, I am naturally pretty inclined to be like, hey, That's not right. You can't do that. You broke my rights, and I kind of want to fight for that. Is that the way we should be? Well, maybe, but maybe not. Let's take a look. See, there was this issue going on in Corinth where people's rights were being infringed, and so they started suing one another. And that was happening in the church. Now, that may be hard for you to imagine. I realize part of the text that we're going to talk about today is is kind of odd. It doesn't get talked about very often. You may not have ever heard this. And if you're new to church or Christianity, this may be like a really weird subject. I promise by the end I'll, I'll show you kind of why it's here. But I think there's important principles here. So here's the question that Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians is going to talk about. He's going to talk about whether or not it's acceptable to sue other believers, okay? So, I want to dive right in. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse 1. Here's what it says. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly instead of before the Lord's people? So, here's the thing. Something was happening over and over. People were suing one another, and, and in the Corinthian uh, culture, suing looked a little bit different. You know, I'm not, their 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 legal system was a little different than our legal system. They kind of had two parts to it. First of all, they had this thing called the the bema seat, and if I would guess if you've been a Christian very long, you're familiar with that term. You've heard it. it's actually used in the New Testament, okay? But they had this, this kind of judgment or, or or bema seat where you could go and and there would be a judge who would sit and weigh out and say, this is right, this is wrong. But when they were suing one another, there was a completely different process. What you would do is you'd kind of go before a bunch of peers and you would... You would uh, Tell the story of what happened, and you you could speak all kinds of evil things about the other person. You could lie. You could make bribes. You could do whatever it took to get people to be on your side and award you a victory while you were suing them. So generally, people who had a lot of money would win, and people who didn't would lose. People who had more power and authority would win, and people who didn't would lose. That doesn't seem right. And apparently that was happening in the church, right? Now, that's a problem. So Paul's addressing this issue, and he doesn't explicitly give an answer about whether or not we should sue believers, but nevertheless, his answer is very clear throughout the next 10 or 11 verses. He uses things like kind of shaming them and, and correcting them, and he speaks sarcastically to them. It's very interesting how he, how he speaks, but he, he clearly answers, no, Christians shouldn't be approaching things this way. And I want to just walk you through three reasons that I think show up in the text. There's, there's three reasons why we really shouldn't be suing one another. And the first is what I will, I'll call the eschatological reason. And that's a big word. And please, please, I apologize if like that's a new word to you. Please don't get hung up on that word. It just means dealing with things that are yet to come. It just means dealing with like the, the, the end and, and, the, and the, you know, the end result of our faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what it says in verse 2. Look, it says, Or do do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? In other words, what he's saying is, eventually, later... Down the road, in the end, there's going to come a time when Christians actually are involved with Jesus in the process of judging the world. And so he says, hey, if you're later going to be involved in judging the world, why can't you deal with your problems in and amongst yourself right now? You should be able to, Christians should be able to deal with the problems that come up between them in a way that's different than the world, because eventually... We're going to do that with Jesus. So here's the thing. I think that Christians are qualified to judge these cases. When a problem comes up between you and a friend, or when two friends, when two people in the church are having a disagreement, maybe it's over a property dispute, maybe it's over work that, that was you know, bid to be done, and, and you know the person who did the work says it's done, but then but you don't feel like the work is done, shouldn't we be able to come together as Christians? And figure those things out rather than just taking one another to court and defaming the name of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. There's a different approach. Christians, you, if you're a Christ follower, you are qualified. You're competent to be able to judge these cases. You're able to walk through them. Now, I would add to that only when you're walking in the Spirit of God. Only when you're submitting to the Word of God and stepping through things in line with what God has to say and what He's clearly outlined to us, okay? Now, going on in verse 3, look at, look at what it says, okay? It says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? And I, that brings up an interesting question. Like, if... if, if uh, if, if Bridgewater is new for you or if you've never really been in church, that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Judging angels, you know? I, I, I don't, I mean, that's kind of an odd idea. But the scripture talks about it. Daniel chapter 7 talks about this. It talks about how there'll be a day when God kind of hands the kingdom over to believers. That's, that's going to be amazing. There's a couple other passages that I want you to see. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, look at what it says. It says this, to the one who is victorious... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and I sat down with my father on his throne. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying to Christians, to those of us who, who fight the fight and finish well and continue on in the faith, eventually we're going to sit on that throne with Jesus. Okay? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So let's just stop for for a second, okay? Because this is a pretty incredible thought. He's saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. It's it's an incredible thought that eventually, you and I are going to be involved in not only judging the world, but judging angels. So right now, you have every capability to sort through the interpersonal problems going on in our lives. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, like, bitterness and anger and, and, you know, wrath and all kinds of things can creep in on any of us, can't they? They can creep in in our marriages. They can creep in in our friendships. They can creep in in our neighborhoods. They can creep in in the church, which is why we need to strive to help each other work through these things, not go outside of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I, one thing I need to clarify here is I'm not saying there isn't a place for legal action. When something is done that is illegal, we should go to the courts. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay. When something is, when when a law is broken, okay, if there is, if there is abuse, if there is, if, if someone is being hurtin', or being hurtin' oh, that's not even a word, sorry. <laughs> being hurt, if someone is 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 being taken advantage of, yeah. That the court system is there for a reason. But more often than not, we have these interpersonal things and then we, we fight for our rights. God's called us to something different. So that's the eschatological reason. Let me share with you the, the, the second reason. It's what I'll call the internal solution reason. Look at, look at verse 4. It says this. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned? In the church, Okay, look at what he's saying. If you have disputes, if you're having interpersonal disputes, if there are things going on within the church, do you go outside of the church to get a ruling from people who have different values, who have different ideologies, don't see the scripture the same as you and I? And here's the thing, at Bridgewater Church, we believe that God's word is what is called to guide us. God has given us clear direction. So, do we go to courts to have decisions made on those things? Again, I want to qualify. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, things that are crimes. In 2005, there was a case I heard about that happened in Denver, Colorado. It was a case where a man was convicted of murder and he was given a sentence. There was a jury, and the jury uh, gave him a sentence. And two years later, his lawyer appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court and got his sentence revoked, and he was set free because the judge in the Supreme Court said that the jury, a member of the jury, had used the Bible to help determine what his punishment should be. They threw it out. And the reality is, the watching world doesn't value the Bible the way a Christ follower should value the Bible. So where are we going to go? Well, here's the good news. God has given us internal, he's given to the church like a clear process to deal with problems. So we need to watch out because non-Christians don't share the same values or submit to the same authority that we do. Look at verse 5. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? The reality is, there is. There are people in this body who are able to help you. You can be that person, but often We'd rather stick to our own natural inclinations. We'd rather be mad. We'd rather stay frustrated with one another or be bitter or talk about each other or post on social media or do something like that than actually go and talk to the person and walk through the process that God has given to us to deal with things. And if we keep doing that, I'm going to tell you, that idea of God being in this place and moving, man, that's going to be awful tough. So what do we do? We pursue all internal options first. Let me show you the internal options. Matthew chapter 18 lays them out for us very clearly. Okay? In verse 15, look, it says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, do not miss those last few words. The two of you doesn't mean... Your best friend who just has to hear about how you were wronged or social media who just needs to feel sorry for you because you were treated so poorly. It's just between the two of you. Go and talk to them. Don't talk to others. Don't spread it online. Talk to the person. Verse 16, but if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along. That doesn't mean go and find one or two others who just are sympathetic to you. That means one or two others who, who, who've seen it and, and, and you know, are, can, can be godly people who will be searching out what God wants. Take them along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Let's not be bitter. Let's not cut people out of our lives. Let's go and, and, and go after every internal solution that we have. And then finally, verse 17, look at it. It says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as, a, as you would a pagan or a tax collector. There's a couple of things here. How would we treat a pagan or a tax collector? We'd love them. We'd pray for them. We'd share the gospel with them, right? Isn't that what we do? You understand, those are words that Paul uses, pagan and tax collector. Those are words that he uses from the first century that imply people who don't yet know Jesus, okay? That's how we treat someone. So what do we do? You go through the process. You go first. You go with, you know, one or two other people. And if that doesn't work, then you can employ other godly people in the church. And finally, I would say you can employ the elders, the overseers, your pastors. Your pastors are there for a reason Okay, they're here for your your protection and for for your good. And this is where you can lean on them as they lean on God. Okay, we pursue every internal option first. All right, so two reasons, the eschatological reason, the internal solution reason. Let me give you the third, the missional reason, okay? Look at verse 6, it says this. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. So something was happening, they're going to court, and unbelievers were watching. Is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Why? Because it was defaming the name of Jesus. Look at, I mean, the text goes on, but I I just got to point something out for you that's that's really big. Suing other Christians hurts the reputation of Jesus and his church. You got to know that let me take it a step further. You and I not resolving our conflicts between each other hurts the reputation of Jesus and his church, whatever it may be. It does. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Look at verse 7. He says this, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not just take the take the loss, my kids? I, my my son, my son would say, just take the L, Dad. Take the L. You know, that's that's what my ten-year-old would say to me. Why not? Why? Because we cling to our rights, don't we? We cling to our property. We cling to our money. We cling. But that's mine. You don't understand. That's that's my right. Wait a minute. Isn't there something that supersedes my rights as a Christian? I'm going to tell you. The answer is absolutely yes. It's the mission and the glory of God and his reputation supersedes all of that. Why not rather be wronged? Listen, if you insist on your rights and your justice, there's going to come a time and a place where you might be right as an American, but you will be wrong as a Christian. And that's hard. So let me give you an example. I mentioned something like this earlier, but imagine you hire somebody. So I, I, uh, um, my wife and I have owned a couple of businesses, and imagine I hire somebody uh, to come and, and, and work for me, right, and I set him up on the job, and I, I leave him there, and I I get a call, and he says, hey, Aaron, I'm done, just want you to know, so just if you could just write out a check, you know, and, and, and we'll be good. And I, I drive over there, and, and now I'm, I, okay, I wouldn't pay him before the job is done, but let's just assume I did, okay? <laughs> let's just assume I paid him before the job is done. I get over there, and, and I look at the job, and the job's nowhere near done. And I'm like, hey, hey, Randy, what's going on? Job's not done. Oh, no, Aaron, the job's done. No, no, it's not. Now, here's, here's a spot. Randy's a believer. I'm a believer. What am I going to do? I mean, I could, I could trash his name all over Facebook. I could talk in the community and say Randy does terrible work. I could do all kinds of things. I could talk in the church and cause a stir. But I'd be defaming the name of Jesus. Why not rather... If I talk with Randy, and Randy's not going to step through it, and it's just not going to go, why not? Rather, I just take the hit. Now, I may have to pay somebody another $500 or whatever, whatever it is to finish the job, but in the end, I know that Jesus sees that and is going to use that. Now, I know that that's foreign to my thinking as an American, but it's in line with the Scripture. That's an important thing. Look at verse 8. Instead, what's happening is you yourselves cheat and you do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. But I'm telling you, God actually calls us to something that is very countercultural. Okay? And the whole reason is that there are people who are far from God who are watching day in and day out. So what do we do? First Peter kind of outlines this. Uh, a guy named Peter wrote this letter to churches in Asia Minor, and he said this in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll share with you a couple of verses. I'll go through it quickly. It says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, my life should clearly tell people that Jesus is real, he's alive, he changed me, I was pretty messed up without him, now he's shown up, and I'm living in a way that doesn't even make sense to them, but it's appealing, right? That's what should be happening in my life. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, verse 14, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. Which means I'm going to submit to every ruler, whether I like the president or the governor or the mayor or whoever it might be. That's what I am called to do as a Christian. oh, I have the right to vote, right? Here we go with those rights again. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. If Bridgewater Church is going to be and do what I believe it can be and do, we're going to have to live differently, Right? I don't know how you all have been living. I'm, I, I don't know anything about you. So I'm not trying to say I know something. I'm just saying, according to what the Scripture says, if we're going to have an impact on lost people, which is what I want to see happen, and I hope you do too, then we're going to have to live differently. So let me just share with you the main main application, the major application, and I'll give you a couple of questions to ponder, okay? Here's the major application. Like The thing I love about the Bible is that it's very applicational. It gives us clarity on, on what we should do. So here's the major application. Don't sue other Christians. Plain and simple. Now, it goes further than that. We need to resolve our conflicts... Well, scripture says, inasmuch as it is possible for you, be at peace with all people. That implies it may not be possible for you to fix some things, but you do as much as you can, whether it's in the home or at work with a boss who's just a jerk or a neighbor who wants nothing to do with you or whatever it is. That's what we're called to do. Don't sue other Christians. So let me give you some questions to ask yourself. And this week, I hope you'll use them in your small group. I know you could say, well, wait a minute, there could be all these different way, reasons that I might sue somebody. I mean, maybe, maybe you have to do something because there's like a, a child custody case. Yeah, I get that. I, I understand. There are, there are going to be some... Places where you may have to step through things. But what I found is that the more that we try to parse out all the little, you know, exceptions, the more everything becomes an exception. So be careful. Okay? So here's some questions for you to ask and talk about in in your small group, whether you're doing something else, you know, whatever it might be. But I hope you'll think about these things. Number one, what is your reputation? Wherever you live, whether it be, you know, Appalachian, whether it be here in Vestal, whether it be down towards Montrose, whether you you live, you know, in Endwell or Endicott or wherever wherever it is, wherever you live, what are you known for? What is it that you're known for? Are you known for following Jesus? Are you known for obeying God, even if it's countercultural? I mean, that's an imperative question. And let me follow that up with the next one. Are you more focused on your rights or on God's reputation? I don't know what the answer is for you. I know I feel that tension in my own life because I kind of like my rights. But I know that this is not my home. Heaven is. Question number three, is this dispute, whatever it might be, whether it's a property thing or just a disagreement with you and another Christian or somebody in another church or whatever, whatever it may be, is this dispute worth someone's eternity? That's an important question. Maybe that's a question that you need to write down on a card and put in your, put in your car, you know, and, and, and carry it around with you. Now, if there's a dispute that you just can't get through and there's something going on in the church, your pastors can help you. Your small group can help you. We can even utilize groups like Peacemakers as a group that helps people you know, to, to do mediation or arbitration, those types of things. Why? Because the cause of Christ is at stake. People need to know Jesus. And you're you're trying to bring friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors here with you. And if our lives are a mess and we're not living in a way that's pleasing to God, what's what's that gonna accomplish? Right? Does this dispute worth someone's eternity? And question number four What should I do since the world judges us by our behaviors more than our beliefs? What should I do with my boss? What should I do with leaders I disagree with? What should I do with, you know, all of those things? How should I act? How should I behave? Let me wrap it up with the last part of this text. It would be easy for me to skip over verses 9 through 11. And here's the thing, like if you've read this or if if you're... um, if you would just been scanning down, you'd go, hmm, is he going to deal with this part? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, a little bit, and I'm going to kind of punt to Brett. So, Brett, good luck, um, a little bit. I'll, I'll deal with it a little bit. Verse 9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hmm, that's interesting. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and that is what some of you were. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And first of all, can I just say, man, I love verse 11. Because that's who we were. If you do not know of the grace of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this room is filled with people who are described in those earlier verses, but God stepped in and has been changing us. Okay? We're not here because we're religious. We're not here because we're good and we have it all figured out. We're here because God and his grace through Jesus Christ. Okay? But second of all... Those of you who are believers, you need to know this. You can't live however you want and think that you are a part of the kingdom of God. That's what these verses are saying. You can't just keep living the way that you used to or maybe it's still current and think that it's good. So, believers, what do we do? We deal with Our issues. We're not going to sue one another. Okay? We're going to step through our problems. Here's what I want to end with. If we do that, I believe if we are ready and willing to lay down our our rights and, and, and set them aside for the cause of Christ, a few. Chapters later in Paul's writing, he talks about how he laid his rights down. Why? So that he may reach as many people as possible. And I think that's what God will do. So why don't we pray for that today and ask him to move amongst us. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word and the clarity in it. God, I pray that you would help us. You'd help us to be spirit-controlled people. Um, I pray that you would just keep drawing us to yourself. I know that there may be people here who have questions about Christianity and, and are unsure about why we'd even talk about suing one another and why that's in the scripture. I, I pray that little by little that, that um, questions would be answered and people would be able to see that, that you care about us and you care about every aspect of our lives. And I pray that you'd give clarity so that the truth of the gospel could shine through. Thank you, God. Thank you for Bridgewater Church. I pray that you'd move and work in a powerful way through us together. In Jesus' name, amen.